0: Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently. So that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36 year old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. When you live in the tropics with no air conditioning and no swimming pool, and right around the time May rolls around, it's hot. I know I'm griping about it being hot, and I have been for a while, but that's because it is. It's probably 96, if I had to guess. In the shade, it's like 94. But at nighttime, it drops down to probably 80, 82, With no humidity. It's actually nice in the evening time. But I feel like we're still in for some nasty days of onshore wind and humid air. And until that stops, I will probably complain a little bit. I just got back from the States. So that's why I missed a week. And I've got a couple stories about the States. Those will come a little bit later. On the last podcast, I talked about an experience at the bank. 45-minute experience. But one thing I forgot to mention was that I was standing in line halfway through the line of like 15 people. And I was looking outside, trying to maintain my sanity. And in front of all these banks, they've got these guards that have shotguns. And they're sawed-off shotguns that are pistol grip, and they've got like a strap on them. So the strap goes over your shoulder, and the gun hangs down between your arm and the side of your ribcage. And so I look out there, and every time I see these guys with these guns, I think they have not been trained in gun safety. They don't know what they're doing. I hope those guns are not loaded. But I look outside, and there's a guy standing there, and in front of him is a lady talking to him, and she's got a stroller with a baby in it. And this guy has got the shotgun pointed directly at the baby's head. Now, not intentionally, it just was hanging that way. And he was resting his arm on it as it was suspended from his shoulder by a strap. Talking to the lady, and the barrel of the shotgun is probably three feet from the baby's head. And if I could look at the bead on the front of that barrel, it was probably right between the baby's eyes. I about had a cow. I didn't leave my place in line to go talk to him. But I told myself, as soon as I walk out of this bank, this guy's going to get an earful from me. And that's what I did. I walked out, and by this time, the lady and the baby were gone. But I said to him, in my best Spanish, do you know that the barrel of your gun was two feet away from that baby's face in the stroller? And he looked at me, and I didn't even give him a chance to answer. I said, you need to learn how to handle that gun properly, or you need to not handle it. And he, he was like looking at me a little bit square eyed. And I said, if you want me to give you a lesson, I'll give you a lesson. But until then, you should not have a gun in your hand until you've been taught how to use it. You understand? And he kind of nodded his head. I said, adios. And I walked off. And it didn't help that I'd been standing inside of a bank for 45 minutes. And it didn't help that I was in the midst of a hailstorm trying to get my deposit back from my house. But I could not let that go unnoticed. There's been a couple stories of my buddies that own businesses that you know these they hire the guards to sit outside with the shotguns, and at least one, maybe two stories I've heard about the guns accidentally going off, and that terrifies me. I'm not scared of guns, I love them, but if you put a gun in the hand of a person who hasn't been trained on how to use it, I don't want to be around them. That is scary, and that's the problem with the guns. It's the users, not the weapons. Right before I left, we had what I call a surprise holiday. And you'd think after living down here for over a year and coming back and forth as many times as I did, I'd kind of learn when the holidays are, but I never did. It's tough, man. You, go, you grow up in a country that celebrates holidays, and you learn those, and you don't realize that they take a lifetime to sink in. I mean, how many times do you still ask yourself, wait, when's Memorial Day is in May or September? I I always get them mixed up. You always hear people saying that. And I've finally come up with M. May M. Memorial, which only leaves September and Labor Day. So right before I left to go home for eight or nine days, I started noticing the town buzzing. And that's a sign that a holiday is coming. And the typical signs are, Parades And when I say parade I don't mean the parade like you think of On Thanksgiving Day Put on by Macy's We're just talking A group of people Maybe between 30 and 50 folks Who are just wearing their regular clothes And beat on some drums Blow some trumpets Some trombones Typically carry some sort of Cross or crucifixion Or you'll see like a statue, typically Virgin Mary, in the back of a truck, all covered by flowers and whatnot. So once you start seeing that, you know they're coming. You don't know how long the holiday is going to be for. You just got to roll with it. Another sign is that the beaches get crowded. I mean, I'm talking like Spring Break, South Padre, 1996 crowded. But here, they come to the beach... And they stay at the beach. They don't go check into hotels. They don't stay in houses. They sleep on the beach. You'll see makeshift tents. And they take tarps and string them up. And bring sticks and build little shelters. And they just hang out on the beach for a couple of days. And when they go, there is so much trash. It's unreal. But they do a really good job at cleaning it up. Since people don't clean up after themselves... They hire the homeless guys, or the mayor's office does, and they put them out there with trash bags the morning after the holiday festivities, and by noon, it's spotless again. So I'll have to admit, they do a pretty good job keeping it clean, but there's no incentive for people to stop littering. It makes me sad. Littering's a big problem down here, and they don't know any different. But in my mind, that's something that's free. It doesn't cost any money to keep things clean. Just organize your trash. So the holiday was Labor Day. I think that signifies like day to honor the working man here. It's different than the states, but I'm pretty sure here Labor Day is a day to celebrate the guy who works every single day. And they celebrated. they were just kicking off right when I left. For two days, I didn't go to the grocery store because it was so crowded. I mean, we're, we're under grocery fight here. We've got one tiny grocery store to service 20,000 people. And there's like six lanes of cash registers, but only one or two are ever open. So whenever I see a certain number of cars in the parking lot, I just drive past the grocery store. Luckily, there's all kinds of other little convenience stores that you can stop at and buy anything you need. Pay a little bit more, but you don't have to go through the line circus. I experienced something the other day for the first time, and it was pretty cool. You don't get a lot of taste of the culture in this town because it's so touristy. And when I say so touristy, I don't mean touristy like South Padre. I mean, there's just a lot of gringos or non-Nicaraguan people that live here, work here, have businesses here. So call them tourists if you want. Whatever. They're not Nicaraguans. But I stopped the other day to get some dinner. Just a little lady on the side of the road selling chicken plates. And my dogs are in the back of the truck. And there's a little boy, little fat boy. He's probably like four. Just chubby, chubby kid. Big smile on his face. And he had a little stuffed animal dog and he kind of mumbled something in Spanish. You could tell he was still learning to speak. You know, he didn't, his words weren't right, but he asked me in Spanish, uh, what's the name of the wawos? And I was like, wawos? And he's pointing at the dogs and his dad leans up and he goes, oh, he calls dogs wawos. And so I sat there for a second and I thought about it and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. And they just looked at me and started laughing. And so it kind of occurred to me that in all languages, kids have to figure out how to speak. And it's just funny. Like, that seems like an obvious statement. But you never think about it. You never think about kids that are learning to speak in a different language. How they still kind of adapt their own words whenever they're unsure of what to say. So the little boy really wanted to pet the Wawos. But... He didn't want to get close enough to pet him. And so I asked him, I said, are you scared of the dogs? He's like, no, I'm not scared of them. And I said, why don't you come over here and pet him? And I brought the dogs close to the edge of the bed of the truck and I picked him up. And he would not touch the dogs. He'd get his hand close and then he'd pull it back. And I'd tell him, they're not going to bite you. They're really friendly. And I would show him and I would pet them. And he was like, no, I don't want to pet them today. And I said, okay. And I put him down. So I haven't been back there since, but next time I go back, See if we make any progress towards the petting of the Wawos. But about the time that we got done looking at the dogs, my food was ready. So I walk over there, I start paying for it, and I look over. And the little boy's got his stuffed dog wedged underneath his arm while he proceeds to pull down his pants and urinate on a little planter, which is on the sidewalk. And I thought, oh man, this guy's about to get in trouble. His dad's going to get him. And his dad kind of looked over there, saw him doing it, and never said a word. And I thought to myself, well, there's another part of the culture that you don't typically think about. is that they're willing to pee anywhere, at any time, on anything. Like, this is the side of the major road. People going by, people walking up and down the sidewalk, and he's just peeing on the planter right there in front of the whole world. Sounds convenient, but probably not healthy. You know, one of the reasons why I really wanted my residency... Well, not really, but one of the reasons that I wanted the residency was so that I could come into the country and not have to buy a tourist visa. Because when you fly in, you go through customs, you stand in line, you give me your passport, and then you buy a tourist visa. And it's $10. It's good for 90 days, at which point you have to leave the country. But with your residency, you don't have to leave the country. You don't have to pay the tourist visa to enter the country. So when I was leaving to fly home was going through customs, which it's funny because in the States, you don't go through customs to leave. You only go through customs when you land. But here, you got to go through customs. They got to look at your passport. They look at your ticket. They check everything. And then you go on to the gate. So as I did that, I made the mistake of giving him my Nicaraguan driver's license because now I have to pay a fee to leave the country. So I don't have to pay the fee to land But I do have to pay an exit visa, which was $2 less than the entry visa. So, man, they get you coming or going. But if I wouldn't have shown him that card, he would not have known that I was a resident. I'm afraid that he may have plugged it into the computer. Now, what are the chances that that thing's still going to be there next time I leave the country? Who knows? But I'm going to try to get by without showing my ID next time. It just seems silly that you got to pay money coming and going. But that's a third-world country, and let's not forget that 25% of Nicaragua's GDP comes from import taxes. But one thing that's really nice about the Nicaragua airport is that there's no TSA. There's like three people. One guy looks at the conveyor belt screen. One guy manages the metal detectors. And then the third guy is on standby in case he needs to search a bag. And the lines move so much faster than the TSA. And every time I fly, I get so upset with the TSA. I think they're extremely inefficient. I think they hire the dumbest people that they possibly can to do the least amount of work for the least price. I mean, I know everyone jokes about it, but it's so true. The same people that work at Burger King work at TSA. And I think that their task, although I think it's silly, if their task is to keep people safe, doesn't it seem logical that we should hire people that have a little bit more ability and a little bit more knowledge and a little bit better communication skills? I know that sounds harsh, but not everyone does the same job equally. And the guy that works at Burger King that makes seven fifty an hour should not be the same guy that's checking for explosives. But with all that said, I don't think we need the TSA. We don't need them. We can let the airlines take care of their own security. I mean, when was the last time we had a plane blow up? The TSA employee count is higher than any other government entity except for maybe the U.S. Post Service. They may have more. But according to the the employee union, The TSA has the highest number of union members of any government entity. And if you look when you buy a ticket, how much fees you pay for the TSA. I mean, it's driven the cost of plane tickets up by probably 15%. And we don't have a choice. We have to go through the TSA. In Houston, when I landed, you have to clear customs, pick up your bag, recheck your bag, and then go through security to go into the terminal to catch the flight from Houston to Dallas. And it's always a debacle. The lines are always long. There's only one scanner working. They always have three there, but they only use one of them. So there's this long, windy line. It takes like 30 minutes to go through. I'm getting close to being worried about missing my flight because it's like 10 minutes until boarding time. And I'm a good ways back in line. So I'm kind of getting antsy and shuffling around. I'm like, come on people. Just hurry up no one's gonna blow anything up so i walk to the body scanner where you go through the surrender motion where you put your hands up and you surrender to the tsa well let me back up a little bit i don't understand why they stand around and shout instructions at you for whatever reason they don't talk they don't make eye contact with anyone they just look around and shout instructions Remove both your shoes, put your shoes in a gray bin. Also take off your watch, any keys, jewelry, money in your pockets, take it out, put it in the bin. If you have a laptop in your backpack, remove the laptop from the backpack and place it in its own bin. Do not stack laptops in the same bin. If you have any liquids, it must be less than three ounces. All of your liquids must be in Ziploc bags, completely sealed inside of your carry-on luggage. You may not have knives, fingernail clippers, cigar cutters, blades of any kind, no guns, ammunition, fireworks. And they could have all that on the sign. 99% of it doesn't need to be said. Who thinks it's acceptable to take a gun on a plane? Nobody. Who thinks you can take fireworks on a plane? Nobody. If you ask a question, they snap right back at you. Excuse me, ma'am. If I have an iPad, do I need to take it out of my backpack? Remove all laptops from your backpack. Place laptops in gray bin. They don't answer you. They just scream the same things. All that being said, to set up a story of how I got the TSA grope down coming through Houston. Now, I thoroughly enjoy messing with the guys who give me the grope down. But in this particular day, I was in a hurry. I was fussy. I didn't want to deal with them anymore. I've been listening to them shout at everyone for 20 or 30 minutes. I just wanted to go. So I step up to the complete surrender body scanner thing i go through the motion i know the drill even if you're doing things right they'll still stand back there and they'll shout at you sir step into the scanner place your arms above your head keep your feet on the yellow feet print on the ground and stand still okay remain inside the scanner with your feet on the yellow feet prints until i tell you to exit so naturally i explicitly follow all the rules i have them memorized i don't need to be told so i did as i was told i stepped into the scanner raised my arms the scanning thing went around and then I wait till they tell me to step out and then you step out and before you can make a dash anywhere, you have another guy standing on the outside of the scanner, looking at the screen, trying to explain to you, well, if you were to translate, he would say this, uh, wait right here for a second. I got to look at the screen, but instead you get this, sir, step out from the scanner and do not move. It'll go take a second while I got to look at it here. So I step out of the scanner. I don't make an attempt to run. I'm just standing there. And I look at the screen and I see a little red patch right on my groin region. And so I immediately knew what it was. I had on some board shorts and in the crotch, like in the fly, there's like a little flap that folds over and it like, keeps your junk from falling out. And so it was like a tri- double or triple piece of fabric. Well, those body scanners picked that up. So... I was like, all right, I'm going to get the grope down. So about that time, the guy walks up. Well, before that, I hear, Jerome, Jerome, lane two. And I think, there's only one lane. There's only one lane, Jerome. Surely you won't get lost. So Jerome, who is about 6'8", maybe 390, 395, not a very muscular build, doesn't look too athletic, but is gigantic. And Jerome walks up. And the conversation went a little bit something like this. Hello, sir. My name is Jerome with a TSA and I will be administering a pat down. Are you comfortable with conducting this pat down right here or do you like to go to a private room? Right here's fine, Jerome. Right here. Let's just let's get this thing going. Let's get it done. I've got a flight to catch. So please go as fast as you possibly can. I'm gonna tell myself the back of my hand. Wait the wait, for, wait front, you wait, for, wait what front your, your, your down the bar. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Jerome. I have no idea what you're saying. I cannot understand you at all. I'm gonna take the back of my hand, slide it inside your waistband, slide it around to the front of your waist, and take the back of my hand and slide it around your groin to your crotch. I still cannot understand you. Now, at this time, I could start to understand him, but I just wanted to hear it at least one or two more times. Okay, okay, I got it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jerome. I'm sorry, sir, but now I have to start over from the beginning. I'm gonna take the back of my hand, slide it inside your waistband, slide it around to the front, down past your groin into your crotch. Then I'm gonna step around to the front. I'm gonna take the back of my hand, put it inside your waistband. Slide it around the other side, then I'm gonna go walk around to the back and put the back of my hand inside your waistband. Do you understand? And I had concluded that his statement was this I'm going to take the back of my hand and slide it inside your waistband, and then I'm gonna slide it around to the front, and then I'm gonna walk around to the front. I'm gonna take the back of my hand, slide it across the outside of your groin, then slide it down between your legs, then I'm gonna go around the other side, continue with the back of my hand inside your waistband until I get to the back. Do you understand? So after we proceeded with the grope down, we finished. He took explosive swabs from my hands to put in a little explosive machine. And then I sat there and I waited for it to come back. Negative on the explosives. I said, okay, am I free to go? And with a nod, I took that as a yes. So I gathered up my things as I told him. Thanks so much, Jerome. I really appreciate your help. You're doing an amazing job. And the skies are much safer because of you. But you know what? I hope someone from the TSA is listening to this because it's okay to have bottom of the barrel employees. And, and I say bottom of the barrel because these people are so unprofessional. They're so rude. They're so degrading. They don't make decisions. So in my mind, that is the person that deserves less than minimum wage because no one in their right mind would hire these people To run their business if they were in the goal of operating for profit, which we know the TSA is not. Well, they might be, but they can't say it. But I do not understand why they can't replace the employee that's speaking with the customer or prisoner, whatever you want to call it, with someone that speaks proper English. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct, 100% across the board, but it would be nice to be spoken to in a vernacular that you understand, that's common to you. I just think that it wouldn't cost that much more to have someone that can speak respectfully and clearly. That's all I need. Speak to me respectfully and speak clear so that I can understand you. We will complete this transaction. I'll be on my way. We can let some more people through the line. But nope, we gotta get the kindergarten flunkies. I tell you what's a cool feeling is spending someone else's money. And the only reason I say that is because I thought about it when I walked into Best Buy in the States to bring a computer back for a buddy of mine actually he's our boat mechanic he gave me $500 cash and he said bring back the best laptop you can buy because down here the laptops are overtaxed and extremely expensive so I walked in Best Buy and keep in mind that I've been out of the computer game for a long time the last computer I bought was a Mac and it was like five years ago and I just bought the biggest baddest one I could afford so I walked into Best Buy looking around like a lost puppy dog, hoping a salesman will come find me. Finally, I had to approach one. I interrupted his conversation about video games. And I go, excuse me, what's the best computer I can get for $500? We walked over there. He goes, one of these two. And I go, which one's better? He's like, well, this one comes with a one-year free antivirus. And I go, I'll take that one. So it left me with like a little bit of change. And then I upgraded the one-year antivirus to two years. I was in and out of there with a computer in like eight minutes and I don't know why I would not have been able to do that if it were my own money but I think I probably would have ended up buying the exact same computer I just thought it was interesting and even though I still wanted to be a good steward of Rigoberto's money I didn't take the time to research it or figure anything out it's very rare that I get to spend someone else's money but it was kind of fun I won't lie if you've been listening for a while you'll remember the um pig farming fiasco it wasn't that much of a fiasco, but you'll remember the pig farming incident. So the money that we got from the sale of the pigs, which barely covered our expenses, but the pigs sold for like $600 or something like that. And I was gone when they sold. So Ronnie took the money and he went and he put it in his bank account. And so as soon as I got back, he tried to give me the money. I said, no, just leave it in your bank. That's fine. Just hold on to it when I need it. I'll ask you for it. He's like, okay. So a few months go by. i move into the new house where I'm living now and he needs motorcycle because it's way up the hill So i said hey ronnie why don't you take that money in the bank and just go buy yourself a motorcycle he was like oh really and i said yeah go ahead man get your moto well about a month or so goes by and he said he's waiting for money from um this last employer who owed him a little bit of money that he was going to put that with the money in the bank and go buy a moto about another month goes by and ronnie tells me that he's going to go pick out and buy a motorcycle that weekend so i said awesome i got him to tell me a little bit about it and it was like a 1980-something Chinese dirt bike. I said, Ronnie, how much does that cost? He was like, $350. I was like, no, don't buy a $350 motorcycle. It's going to break down. It's going to be all old and ratty. He's like, that's all the money I have. I said, you had $600 of mine, and then you got paid some from someone else. He's like, I know, but I spent it on my kid. So, you know what? Whatever, it's his money. He can do with it what he chooses. So, about the next day or so, I hear a dirt bike pull up through the gate. So I kind of look up and I see Ronnie and Ismail on a dirt bike. Ismail's driving, Ronnie's on the back. And Ronnie's got this huge Cheshire cat grin on his face, man, ear to ear. I was like, Oh, Ronnie, is this your bike? He's like, Yep. I said, Can you drive it? And he said, Nope. <laughs> he had never ridden a motorcycle on his own. He'd ridden on the back, but never driven one. So he gets it and he gets on it. me and Ismail are like trying to give him lessons and then the thing dies and it won't start and it won't start and it won't start. And he feels so bad because I I know the feeling like I've bought something, I think probably a used dirt bike, go home after you test drive it, you buy it and then like the next morning it won't crank. And you're like, what the heck? I just bought this. It was running fine. So I know what he was going through. He didn't know how to drive it. The thing wouldn't start. He was kind of fed up with it. So he just ran and put it in the garage. He said, I'll mess with it tomorrow. Well, that was right before I left to come back to the States. So I leave, I come back, and Ronnie said, yeah, I had to put like $50 into the bike to get it going again. And I go, what did you put? He's like, um, new shocks and mirrors. And I was like, but that had nothing to do with it not running. He's like, I know, Ismail made it run. I said, oh, okay. So yesterday, we are out there, me, Ismail, and Ronnie. And I said, okay, let's just have a dirt bike lesson. Teach Ronnie how to ride his thing. So we plop him on there. Ismail's giving him instructions. I'm giving him instructions, and he is scared. I can just tell he's real nervous. He's not really listening. He's like real twitchy. His eyes are all over the place. And I'm thinking, this could be bad. But we went ahead and gave him a lesson. I said, You guys got a helmet or something to put on his head? And they said, No, no helmet. I said, Okay, be careful, Ronnie. So he gets on. He kicks it, and he kicks it, and he kicks it, and he kicks it, it won't crank. Ismail gets on there, kicks it one time, it starts. So they leave it running. Ronnie gets on there. And what I'm about to explain happens about 496 times in a row. He's giving it a little bit of gas. He starts to let out the clutch, and he immediately just pops the clutch, and the bike jumps forward and dies. 496 times. Well, actually, I take that back. One time he got it. It was starting to die. He let out the clutch and just floored it, and it took off. It did one of those things that, you can probably picture this happening. Someone rides a motorcycle for the first time. They pop the clutch. The front tire comes up a little bit. Their feet go out off the pegs, but above the ground. And the bike's wobbling back and forth in their feet. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And then the, he hits the front brakes. The front tire slides. He comes to a stop and then kind of tilts over and lands on his feet. And I look back and I was, all, I was kind of nervous. But Ismail was on the floor rolling, laughing <laughs> at Ronnie. And that's a good buddy right there. I mean, you got to laugh at your friend learning to ride a dirt bike. But he didn't get it. He got frustrated, gave up, put it back in the garage. And the whole time, Ismail was like, dude, you got to keep trying. Like, you've got, you cannot stop. You got to just keep trying or you're never going to learn. Because Ronnie was intimidated. He was scared. It wasn't comfortable for him. And Ismail was laughing at him. But he was out there about an hour and a half just baking in the sun. And I, I finally would walk away. and I hear the same sound. And I knew exactly what was happening. And I think he might be a little bit closer to learning. But he's nowhere near ready to get on the road. So I'll keep you posted on that. I told Ronnie, once you learn how to ride this thing, we're going to go have a truck driving lesson. All three of us. Because Ismail said he doesn't know how to drive a truck. So I said, learn how to work the clutch. Learn how to control that motorcycle. We'll go have a truck driving lesson. So stay tuned for those details. I think that's going to do it for today's program. I'm debating on whether or not to do an episode dedicated to a little bit of U.S. politics. Not a lot, just some of my thoughts, and mainly because I'm getting the exact same question from a lot of people, and I want to just be able to say, oh, go listen to my podcast, so I don't have to go through the same thing and the same argument and hear everyone's same response, which they think is different than everyone else's. And I kind of want to have a place that I can go back and listen to this. Well, listen to that podcast in the future. I don't know. We'll see. If you like politics, listen. If you don't like politics, don't listen. Well, listen anyway and tell a friend. Thanks again for listening Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, NikaSaleAndSurf.com or shoot us an email, Surf at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.